0: Bible's turn to Romans chapter 1. We're continuing our series uh, uh, through the book of Romans. Uh, you can either follow along in your notes that you have today or in the Hui Kala app, whatever you do, just follow along. Uh, we're going to pick up some good stuff in this passage. Also, I want to say this is week three of three on the topic of homosexuality in the Bible. Today's uh, message is entitled God's Wrath and Homosexuality. Uh, we've covered it the last two weeks. You're coming in on week three of three, so if you missed the first two, go home right now. Listen, I'm just kidding. Uh, Go back at some point this week and listen to the first two because it's going to help you, uh, but, but um, the first two kind of lay a foundation for what we're going to cover today, uh, really important. Uh, this is the last in, in this part of the series on homosexuality. We're moving on to some other stuff next week. Uh, it's not going to get any easier as we go through this passage because Romans 1 is just a tough passage, but uh, we will move on from the subject to another subject. Uh, final thoughts on that here today. Uh, Romans chapter 1, we're going to start verse number 18, go down through verse number uh, 27 this morning. became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God hath also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen." For this cause God gave them up into their vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burn in their lust one towards another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. When we talk about things like this today, first of all, it's not politically correct to talk against uh, homosexuality and the nature that we live today, the society we live. But we've never sought to be politically correct. We seek to be biblically correct. And so whatever the Bible says, we're just going to go with that, and, and whatever happens kind of happens with it. But we see a shift in our culture where our culture has shifted from biblical values into more what is called progressive values. And again, think of it this way. When, when we talk about the word progressive, it's generally meant to be a good thing, speaking of progress. The problem with progressivism, though, is that it doesn't really have an end. Uh, progressivism doesn't get to the finish line and say, yes, look at us, we've progressed. It continues to go and continues to go further and further away from what you and I would call biblical values. Really important to to state from the beginning when we talk about our values that we hold as Christians. We don't hold to traditional values or traditional marriage. Uh, We don't hold to old-fashioned values. Uh, We hold to biblical values. Really important distinction because tradition is based on how things always have been. Old-fashioned means we could go back to a certain point in time when everything was right, but now everything's messed up, which really isn't the truth at all. So we're not seeking to be old-fashioned. We're not seeking to be, uh, quote, conservative or anything along those lines. We're seeking to be biblically accurate. And so when we talk about our stance on issues like uh, abortion, uh, racism, uh, the uh, human trafficking, uh, prostitution, all of these things are not coming from our worldview or conservative values. They're coming from biblical truth, and we have to stand on that few things I want to get out of the way. I got 10 caveats before we even touch today's message. Uh, and again, this is just review for the last couple of weeks, so I'm going to blaze through them really quickly. First of all, the Bible is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice, period. Whatever the Bible says, we go with it. Well, what if we don't like what it says? Then we cannot like what it says while still obeying at the same time. Uh, let me just tell you, there's parts of the Bible that I don't like, that I feel uncomfortable with. There's parts of the Bible that contradict who I am as a person, But I cannot neglect those parts of the Bible. I have to allow God's word to change me. The Bible is our final authority. It is the word of God. When we disagree with the Bible, we disagree with God. So if I say anything today from the Bible that makes you uncomfortable, your problem is not with me or the message or even this church. Your problem is with the authority of God in your life. And so when you disagree with the Bible, you're 100% of the time disagreeing with God. Now, when we disagree with God, we suppress the truth. Romans chapter 1, verse number 18 says, we hold the truth and unrighteousness, that word hold means to suppress or put down, and we create our own version of the truth. For example, I've had people come to me before Says, Pastor, uh, I know the Bible says divorce is a sin, but I want to leave my wife because I'm not happy. What you've done is you've pushed down the truth that says marriage is a lifetime covenant commitment, and you've created your own version of the truth that allows you to do what you want to do. I want to leave my wife, and here's why, because I'm not happy. I've created my own version of the truth that allows me to do what I want to do. Now, the, the problem is, is that you and I are, are prone to do that. When we're confronted with truth, we don't like to change. We don't want to be different than we are. So we make up a version of the truth that helps us to maintain what we've got going on, which is wrong 100% of the time. So the best thing for you to do is to repent and agree with God. Next, we have to stand for truth, but we do it with a lot of love and grace. The Bible kind of draws a line in the sand and doesn't allow us to cross that. The threshold that we, we, we can't cross, what, what God's word says. But I can stand at that threshold with a lot of love, with a lot of kindness, with a lot of grace, with a lot of compassion, empathy, sympathy even. I don't have to be angry as I stand for the truth. I don't have to shout at people. I don't have to raise my voice. I don't have to put anybody down. I don't have to call anybody names. I can just stand for the truth with a lot of love and grace. Jesus didn't compromise the truth but was willing to give grace. John 1.14 says that Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. Never did he give the truth at the expense of grace, and never did he give grace at the expense of truth. He had both. And so you and I need to seek to be like Jesus in the fact that we can stand for what we stand for. We can do it with a lot of grace and a lot of kindness. Next, Jesus didn't condemn others, but also didn't condone them. There was a woman who was caught in adultery. She was brought to Jesus. The law says she should be stoned. And everybody's like, hey, what, the law says she should be stoned. What should we do? And Jesus says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And everybody left. And so was Jesus letting this woman off the hook? No, he didn't because he says, neither do I condemn thee, but go and sin no more. You can't continue to live this way. Uh, you need to stop what you're doing, but I don't condemn you for what you've done. And so again, someone comes and says, I'm living a lifestyle that your Bible says is a sin. You probably hate me, don't you? I I don't have a hateful bone in my body. I love you. I don't agree with the choices that you've made, but I love you, and you're free to make whatever decisions you want. I wish you'd make better decisions that would honor God and get God's blessing on your life, but at the end of the day, you can make your own decisions because that's up to you. What I can't say is what you're doing is okay. What you're doing is fine. There's not a problem in the world with what you're doing. I can't do that because Jesus didn't do that. We can't condone sin, but we also don't have to condemn it either. It's also important to note that our own sin is just as offensive to God as the sin of other people. It's easy for us to cherry pick sins that we want to be against or we want to crusade against. It's very difficult to look into our own heart and see what's broken in me. God is just as offended with my sin as he is with the sin of other people. That's why Jesus says if your brother has a speck in his eye, make sure you take care of the log or the beam that's in your own eye first before you can help him to see straight first. So I've got to make sure that my heart is right before God before I start picking on the sins of other people. And let me just tell you this. When you begin to cherry pick other people's sins and point those out to the neglect of your own, it's the beginning of your own undoing. So we got to be honest before God. we got to confess our own sin before God before we start to, again, rail against the sins of other people, which isn't biblical at all. We're also commanded to love and serve everyone in the name of Jesus. Hatred is the opposite of the gospel. Again, when it comes down to how I treat other people, I'm going to treat everybody with love and kindness, even if they do things that I, that I find uh, reprehensible, according to the Bible. Uh, if there's things that I disagree with, the things that I should be, think should be done better, I can treat them with kindness. Please understand this. If you choose to live for biblical values, which I I pray to God that you will, you will be labeled a bigot, a homophobe, a transphobe, a hateful person, and let there not be a shred of truth to any of that. Carry yourself in such a way so that that the Bible says that your accusers would be ashamed to say that against you. I, I don't want there to be a shred of evidence that I would have a hateful bone in my body. And so I need to conduct myself in such a way that people would say, Anthony King, hateful. Like, that's that's the opposite of the guy that I know. I've never even heard him raise his voice at anybody. I want to carry myself in such a way that people couldn't even make that accusation against me because hate is the opposite of the gospel. Next, love, kindness, and authentic Christianity draws unbelievers to Jesus. Carry yourself in such a way that you walk with love, Kindness and authentic Christianity. That's what draws people to Christ. No one has ever been won to Christ because you post some hateful photo on Facebook, ever. Nobody's ever been won to Christ because you have a fish on the back of your car that's eating a Darwin guy with legs, right? That doesn't win people to Christ. Nobody has ever been won to Christ because you, you go to your workplace and run everybody down. That turns people off to Christ. But when you bake a plate of cookies for your neighbor and tell them that you're praying for them, that speaks volumes. When you go to the gay guy in your workplace and you invite him to church, that speaks volumes. Oh, you probably wouldn't want me there. Why would you say that? We want everybody to come to our church. I can't even believe that you would say that. That doesn't even make sense to me. I would love for you to be my guest. I'll meet you out front and you can sit with me. I'll introduce you to all my friends at church. That draws people to Christ. Putting people off and and looking down your nose at people has never helped the cause of Christ, never not once. And finally, my final caveat here the church and the gospel are always the places to find help for any sin that you face. Always. If you hear nothing else out of today's message, listen up to this right here. You and I have sinned against God, all of us. I've sinned, you've sinned, we've broken God's law, not once or twice, but time and time again. It's in our nature, it's who we are. We're sinners by nature. The Bible says because of our sin, we deserve God's punishment. Now, God has already determined before you and I were ever born what the punishment for sin was. Death, and when you die, you're going to go to hell. That's what the Bible says. So when I die because of my sin, I should go to hell because I deserve it. But the good news is this. God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to die and go to hell. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins and mine so that we don't have to endure God's punishment. And anyone that would come to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I want to change, can be saved from their sin. Anybody. All it requires from you is faith and repentance. Jesus says in John chapter three, verse number three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You need to be saved. Has there been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again? If you can't point to a time, a date, and a place, your sins might not be forgiven. And if your sins are not forgiven, then when you die, you're going to go to hell. Not because you've committed one in particular sin or you've crossed some line that you shouldn't have crossed. Because you have sinned against God, you deserve punishment. But Jesus took your place, was punished in your place. That if you would be willing even today to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he's the only way to heaven. And I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sin. You could be born again today. That's what we sang about this morning. The wrath of God completely satisfied in the person of Jesus Christ. He endured the wrath for me. Now all I know is grace. That's the gospel. That's where healing is found. And the message of this church and any other church that preaches the Bible is the gospel. Sinners can be saved. That's the hope that all of us have. It's the only hope that we have. Because we're not good enough to make it to heaven. You're not good enough to make it to heaven. There's no merit system where if we do enough good stuff we can get to heaven. It's through Jesus alone. And that's the message that we have as the church. So, If you have a man who's caught in an adulterous relationship, the only hope that he has is the gospel and the truth of God's word. Who's going to get it to him? Well, the church will. You have somebody that doesn't know Jesus. How will we get the message to them? Well, the church will. That's what we do. Why do we support missionaries? Because they go to places like Papua New Guinea. They go to places like Ethiopia. And they start churches to tell people about Jesus and how Jesus can deliver them from their sin. That's what we do. So it blows my mind that Christians would think that there is a group of people who are sinners who would not be welcome in our churches. Like, that doesn't even make sense. That there's some people who have sinned so badly that God has cast them off forever and they're not welcome amongst the church. That has not a shred of biblical truth to it whatsoever. And and let me just tell you, that hurts the cause of Christ. Please understand this. If we have a group of people who are sinning against God, and we say to them, your sin is okay. God doesn't mind your sin at all. It's not a big deal. You don't have to change. God's not going to judge that. Then we've sold them the anti-gospel. That's not true at all. To say that God's not going to judge your sin is a lie. To say that you're okay in your sin and you don't have to change is a lie. And we wouldn't be doing anyone a service by telling them a lie. But the truth of the gospel is this. All are welcome at the cross, everybody. And to think that there is a group of people that wouldn't be welcoming Jesus' church is the opposite of the gospel. So let's get all those ground rules out of the way because we're getting ready to, get to dig into some hard stuff we take a look at Romans chapter 1, it begins with idolatry. Idolatry then gives way to us thinking that we're smarter than God, which gives way to uh, God giving us up to our vile affections and our own sinful desires, which then turns into sexual deviancy, specifically in Romans chapter 1, speaking of homosexuality. Now, homosexuality goes all the way back to the beginning of biblical history, really, Romans chapter 1 is the first place in the New Testament where we find a a wide open specific condemnation to homosexuality. All through all four Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, God speaks against uh, sexual sin of a general nature, fornication and adultery and things like that. We get to Romans 1, it's the first place in the Bible uh, in the New Testament in order where homosexuality is specifically called out. But that isn't the first place in the Bible. It really goes back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 19. Keep your finger here in Romans. We're coming back. But turn back to Genesis chapter 19, if you would. Genesis 19 tells the story of Abraham and his nephew named Lot. Genesis 19, turn over there, if you would. Now, here's the thing. God told Abraham, Abraham, you need to leave your home and be a traveling nomad for a while. I'll give you some more instructions whenever you go. And Abraham took with him his servants and all the stuff that he's had. And uh, following along on this journey with him was his nephew, Lot. And they get to a, a, a piece of land here that's pretty big. And Abraham says, hey, Lot, we should totally split up here, man. Uh, you go your way, I'll go my way. And, and we'll kind of dwell separately. And so Abraham set up his tent over here. And the Bible tells us that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. Now, Sodom was a, a city that was known for its sexual sin, specifically the sexual sin of homosexuality. And Lot pitched his tent towards her. Now, he wasn't in Sodom. He just kind of, when he walked out of his tent in the morning to go about his day, first thing he saw was Sodom. Before he went into his tent every night, before he, he got into his tent, he looks out at Sodom. Anytime he's around the front door of his tent, what does he see? He's Sodom. Now, here's a biblical principle for you. This is separate from today's message. This is a bonus, and I will not charge you for this, okay? This is good free advice. Anytime you make a provision for sin in your life, it's only a matter of time before you indulge in that sin, okay? That's why the Bible says make no provision for the flesh. If I decide I'm going to start watching television shows that use a lot of foul language, but like I'm not going to use those words. That's not me. Uh, I'm going to watch these shows and enjoy these types of shows, but I'm not going to indulge in that type of, of language. It's only a matter of time before that type of language makes its way into my mind and into my heart. And the Bible tells you once it comes into your heart, it comes out where? Out of your mouth, eventually. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So when I make provision for things like foul language, it's only a matter of time. Now, I might not use those words. They might not actually come out unless I, like, hit my finger with a hammer or something really bad happens or somebody almost runs into me or something like that. It might then come out. But the words then are in my brain and in my heart, which is dangerous anyways. You might think to yourself, like, well, it's not a big deal to look at, like, Victoria's Secret catalogs or women in lingerie, you know. I've heard guys say some of the stupidest things. My wife says I shouldn't use the word stupid, I should use foolish instead. But this is just stupid. Guys say things like, well, it's not a sin to look at a woman in a, in a bathing suit at the beach. I mean, just because you're on a diet doesn't mean you can't look at the menu. <laughs> That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my entire life. You know what you're doing? You're pitching your tent towards Sodom. Don't look. Like, like turn away. Or are you saying when you go to the beach and you see a woman in a bathing suit, you turn away? Absolutely. Oh, you're a prude. You can call what you want to. I'm going to maintain my faithfulness to my wife. I'm going to keep my heart right. You can say whatever you will about that. But whatever you make provision for, you're going to eventually indulge in. And so that's why the Bible says make no provision for the flesh. Now, Genesis chapter 19, verse number 1. There came two angels to Sodom at even, nighttime. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself on his face towards the ground. What happened? Lot wasn't pitching his tent towards Sodom. Lot now lived in Sodom and hung out at the city gate. So again, he's fully given over to this city that's known for sin. (coughs) And he said, behold now my lords, these angels that have come. Turn in, come to my house. I pray you into your servant's house and tarry all night. And you shall wash your feet. That word wash your feet is a euphemism for go to the bathroom and clean yourself up. You shall wash your feet and you shall rise up early and go on your way. And they said, nay, but we'll abide in the street all night. Now, Lot knows these angels are in trouble and they shouldn't have come. Why? Because Lot knows he shouldn't have been there to begin with. And here are these angels come, and he's like, hey, guys, come into my house real quick. Stay here, take a load off, sleep for a little bit, but tomorrow morning you got to go. And they're like, no, man, what are you talking about? We're just going to hang out here in the street all night. And he's like, this is not a good idea. Verse number three, and he pressed them greatly. And they turned into him and entered into his house, and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, Can pass the house round, both old and young, and all the people from every quarter. All four corners of the city, they came to Lot's house and surrounded the house. And they called unto Lot and said to him, Where are the men which came unto thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. That phrase, we may know them, means that we would have sex with these men. Literally what it means hey, Lot, those two guys we saw come into your house, you're not keeping them for yourself, bring them out here so that we can share them amongst ourselves. Verse number six, and Lot went out the door unto them and shut the door after him. Lot went outside and closed the door and said, I pray unto you, brethren, do not show wickedly. Verse number seven, take note of that. Lot didn't say, hey, you bunch of degenerates, get away from my house. What's wrong with you, you bunch of sickos? What does he say? Brethren, brothers, brothers, don't do this. Lot had fully, completely and totally given himself over to the culture here. Verse number eight. One of the most wicked verses in all of the Bible. Wicked with the capital W. Sick, disgusting. Verse number eight. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. These are, these are virgins. They've never had sex before in their life. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore they came unto the shadow of my roof. What type of scumbag do you have to be to say, I've got two girls that have never had sex before. I'll give them to you. You guys can abuse them sexually all night if you want to. But just don't touch these guys that came. Like you look and see how far gone Lot is. It's like, it makes me sick to my stomach. Here's verse number nine. And they said to Lot, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came into sojourn, and he will need to be the judge. Now we will deal worse with thee than with them. They pressed sore upon the man, and even Lot came near to break the door. So these guys are pushing so hard, they almost broke down the door to Lot's house. But the men, the angels, put forth their hands and pulled Lot into the house and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door in the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. So the angels make these guys blind. And they're still trying, they're blind. And they're still trying to find the door of Lot's house to find these two guys so that they can drag them out in the street and have sex with them despite the fact that they've been blinded. And the men said unto Lot, the angels, verse number 12, Hast thou there here any besides son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast? Bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place. Because the cry of them is waxing great before the house of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And so, hey, we're going to wipe this place off the planet because of the wickedness of the sin of this place. If you got any family, y'all guys need to get out like ASAP. Verse 14, and Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-laws, which married his daughters, and said, up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. Look at this last part of the verse. But he seemed just to one that mocked unto his sons-in-laws. Hey, guys, I just want to tell you, we got to get out because God's going to destroy this place. He's going to level it because of the wickedness and sin of this city. And they're like, oh, that was a good one, Lot. What's up, man? What, what are you doing? No, seriously, we got to go. Oh, is this another prank that you're pulling, Lot? Because, like, God's not... Like, who are you to, like, talk on behalf of God? I mean, I mean, like, you're like one of the guys from Sodom, you know? Lot had so destroyed his testimony with his own family that when he says God's going to judge this place, they thought he was joking. Verse number 15, when the morning arose, the angels hastened. Lot said, arise. They said to Lot, arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed with the iniquity of the city. And while they lingered, the man laid hold upon his hand. In the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought them forth and set them out the city. Get this. Verse 15, God's going to wipe this place out because of their sin. And verse 16, and while he lingered, Lot did not want to leave. They had to, like, grab him by the hand and grab his wife and his two daughters and take them out. Verse number 17, and it came to pass and he brought them forth abroad. And he said to them, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay into the plain, escape into the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said, oh, not so, my Lord. Like, Lot's like, don't wipe out my friends. Here you have a guy who supposedly was a follower of God who had immersed himself with a wicked, sinful city so much that he identified as one of them, was willing to sacrifice his own family rather than to lose faith, face with these sinners that were a part of this city. And so the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by God as judgment for their rampant homosexuality. God called down fire from heaven and it consumed the city. God told Lot and his family, don't even look back. Lot's wife looked back. She was turned into a pillar of salt because God said, don't look back. And so we see from the very beginning of the Bible, homosexuality is one of those things that God's just like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, you've crossed a line. And God wiped out an entire city as a result of it. Now, the important thing for you and I to understand with this is that we're, uh, I'm sorry, the the thing to understand about this is that Lot was required to separate from the wickedness of the city or face God's judgment himself. Lot couldn't be a friend to the people of Sodom because he would have been consumed with them. You and I cannot, I'm going to say this really clearly, you and I cannot be friends with a sinful world of any sort. Because here's what the Bible says. He who is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. So you got to pick a side. God says, Lot, you want to stay, you're going to be wiped off the face of the planet. So we see from the very beginning of the Bible, homosexuality isn't a thing that's just in in the book of Romans. It's not something that's new to our society today. It goes back to the very beginnings of Scripture in the first book of the Bible. Turn back to Romans chapter 1 if you would. It's really, understand t- really important that you and I understand, too, as we look at Scripture, that we understand what God designed sexual intimacy for. Unfortunately, many people who have grown up in, in conservative churches, which I'm thankful for conservative churches, we would be a doctrinally conservative church, for sure, sometimes get the, the wrong impression that sex is dirty, it's bad, it's awful, it's terrible, uh, don't touch it, 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 it's nasty, it's filthy, it's gross. You don't want to be involved in that at all, which is, is not what the Bible says. And the problem when, when people are raised in a culture like that is they get married and it's just like, well, sex is dirty, so like, uh, should we be dirty? Like, how does this work? And so we need to understand what the Bible says. And The Bible says that God created us with sexual desire to be fulfilled within the boundaries of a monogamous heterosexual marriage, and anything outside of those boundaries is sin. So again, blank Bible word fornication. Where we get our Greek word porneia, where we get our word pornography from. Any sexual sin outside of the boundaries of marriage falls into the fornication category. So it's important that we understand that sex is a gift to the monogamous heterosexual marriage. Gift. Premarital sex, sin. Extramarital sex, sin. Pornography, sin. Uh, lustful thoughts, sin. So Homosexual sex, sin. Uh, Anything outside of the boundaries of a heterosexual monogamous marriage is going to be considered sin according to the Bible. And so again, as we we train up our children, we need to explain to them, sex is beautiful the way that God designed it. Outside, it's toxic and damaging. Here's God's plan for marriage. Here's God's plan for sexual intimacy. And again, age appropriate, and, and as they grow, they learn more along the path. But we can't teach our kids from a young age that sex is bad, it's terrible, it's awful. We need to explain to them the damages that sex has when it's used for an improper purpose. And so, because of that, we see in Romans chapter 1 the devolution of the idolatrous heart leads to sexual immorality, specifically homosexuality. If you've got your Bibles open still here in Romans chapter 1, look at this, verse number 24. Wherefore God gave them up to the uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their bo- own bodies between themselves. Verse number 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections for even their women to ch- change the natural use unto that which is against nature. And verse number 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. So God says, you want it, go for it. God's not going to restrain you any longer. God's not going to throw any more red flags if you're going to blow right past him. You've already been warned. You know that this is damaging. You know that this is devastating. You know that this will ruin your life. Have at it. And the end result is what we see here. And the Bible says these things are unnatural. Take a look at verse number uh, 26. this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Verse 27, likewise men, also leaving the natural use of a woman, burn in lust one towards another. So these sexual lusts are deemed against the nature of God, against the nature which God intended, and is dishonorable. So it's important to understand that when when we talk about nature and what the Bible says here is against nature, we're not talking about our primal, carnal nature. We're not talking about our, our own sexual desires. We're talking about the way God intended things. God intended sex inside marriage between two people for a lifetime. That's it. And please understand, if we followed God's rules, we wouldn't have unplanned pregnancies. We wouldn't have sexually transmitted diseases. We wouldn't have issues like AIDS. Or we wouldn't have issues like monkeypox. We wouldn't have things like that if we followed God's design. Now, are those God's, God's wrath poured on people who disobey Him? I don't have liberty to say that, but I just know when we don't follow God's design, there's always consequences. And so when it says these things are against nature and, again, are dishonorable. So those that are caught in this type of sin will experience a loss of dignity and honor. Now, now this is getting ready to get really, really heavy here. I want to make sure that, that you're clued in, you're paying attention. Take a look at verse number uh, 24. For God gave them up into uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up to vile affections. That word vile in the Greek means dishonorable. And so when you choose to live a lifestyle of sexual deviancy and or homosexuality, you're sinning against your own body, you're dishonoring yourself, and you're stripping yourself of your dignity. Now, it's important to understand, the dignity is not stripped by you or I. That dignity is stripped by God himself because you've chosen to disobey him. So if you choose to go against God's design and have sex with multiple partners outside of the boundaries of marriage, you've dishonored your own self. Now, again, does does society pile onto that, making people feel shame? For sure. But we as Christians shouldn't. God automatically has said this sin dishonors you. It strips you of your dignity. If you take a look at suicide rates in America, there's one demographic that is almost double and sometimes triple the suicide rates of the rest of the the United States. You know who it is? It's the LGBTQ community. Because, here's what happened. They believe if I do this, I will finally be fulfilled. I'll find what my heart craves. That, that emptiness in the pit of my stomach will finally be fulfilled if I can just find somebody out there that will love me for me. Only to find out that didn't scratch the itch. An even higher level of suicide rates amongst those just in the LGBTQ community are those who have, uh, are transgender and go through what are called gender-affirming surgeries, also known as sex change operations. Because they think to themselves, if I could finally wear the clothes that I want to, if I could finally look the way that I want to in the mirror, if I could finally do this, then I would be fulfilled. And they get it, and they realize that that problem is still there. Nothing really got fixed. Because what's broken is not what's broken on the outside, it's what's broken on the inside. You've got to fix what's broken here before you can fix anything anywhere else. And please understand, this is not unique to those who identify as LGBTQ. This is unique to everybody. It's not unique to them. It's across the entire world. You have some type of idol that you've replaced God with. You think it will find fulfillment, and you don't find it there, so you just keep looking until you realize nothing in life can make you happy. I've tried it all. I've been there. I've done that, and I am so empty. I've tried relationship after relationship. I've put myself out there sexually. I've allowed people to use my body, and I still feel empty inside. So life must just be empty. There is no love There's only emptiness inside. And guess what? What's the use in life now? I I, I did some uh, research several years ago uh, on uh, suicide and depression. I I try to preach about it at least once a year every 18 months because it's important. But I found, again, it it just goes back to, to proving that if you're looking for something other than Jesus, you'll come up short every time. That people who had... Bariatric weight loss surgery, like medical surgery to lose weight and lost 100 pounds or more, were three times more likely to commit suicide than those who did not. And you look like, what's the correlation? The correlation is this. If I'm skinny, if I can wear clothes that I buy at the Gap, if I can look like everybody else, I'll be happy because that's really what's broken with me is what's on the outside. And if I can fix that, I'll find fulfillment. Three times more likely to commit suicide from those who, we would, we would even say that, that was success. Why? Because we're not fixing what's broken on the inside. Because when you choose a life against God, you dishonor yourself. When you choose sexual sin, you strip yourself of your own dignity. When you have sex with multiple partners, you don't gain honor and gain dignity for that. You rob yourself of your own. You send pictures to somebody across the internet, you're not gaining honor and dignity. You're stripping yourself of your own honor and dignity to do so. Now, it's important to understand, we as the church don't get to join in on that. We're actually the the restorers of people's dignity by pointing them to the gospel. We don't shame people for sin. That's not our job. Sin shames. The gospel restores so it's our job to restore those that have been dishonored and been stripped of their dignity. We don't pile on for sure. But when people trade away the God of creation for other gods, they trade away the design of God's creation for a counterfeit of that design. Again, if Jesus is the ultimate prize, then he is. And if all I have is Christ, and he is, and then I decide to take him off of his throne and put something else up there, it's only a matter of time before you're disappointed. Well, this new dating relationship will provide that fulfillment that I'm looking for. No, it won't. Christ provides fulfillment. Oh, this new job, when I get into this new position, when I get that new promotion, when I begin to make more money, when my kids get into that school, when we move back to the mainland, all of our problems are going to go away. No, they won't. Because you're searching for fulfillment in something other than Christ, which is a counterfeit. It's a fake. It doesn't really work. That's why idolatry is empty 100% of the time. It's important to note as we look through Romans chapter 1 as well that when it comes to the sin of homosexuality, this is not a sin that God will judge mankind for. It's his present judgment on a culture of idolatry. Let me break that down for you. Homosexuality isn't a sin that God's going to judge. Homosexuality is the sin, I'm sorry, is the the judgment on the sin of idolatry. So look at it this way. Some people have said before, I love it when people say foolish things. I was going to say stupid, but I said foolish. Say things like, well, if, if God allows America to continue on the path that it's on, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. A couple of things that. First of all, God doesn't owe anybody an apology ever under any circumstances whatsoever. What God does is right 100% of the time. Second of all, God judges Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin with fire and brimstone from heaven. God has judged America for its idolatry by giving us homosexuality. That's what Romans 1 says. It says that we did away with God. We're smarter than God. We don't need him anymore. So God gave us up to our vile affections. And like a pig at a feeding trough, we went whole head into our sin, and what came out was sexual deviancy and homosexuality. God already judged America and said, go for it. You can have what you want. And we said, yes, give me more. Like a fat kid at the Golden Golden Corral Buffet, right? Just more, more. If you've ever been to Golden Corral, you're missing out on being an American. But yeah, here's the thing, we want more, we want more, guts says have it. That's the judgment. The judgment is that God is no longer restraining us. He's given us over to our vile affections, and we're eaten nonstop. That's the judgment. And, and again, sometimes people say things like, well, this is the most sexually deviant society in all of history. First of all, you need to do a little bit of history research and study the Roman Empire They talk about filth and garbage and sexual immorality and sexual slavery and sexual abuse. It was rife in the Roman Empire. Now, I will give you, we're at the worst point ever in American history by far. But please understand this. The Roman Empire, they said, we don't need the God of the Bible. We've got our own gods. And our own gods want us to be happy. And God says, okay, go for it. And then he gave them up to do that, and that was the end result. God's done the same thing with America. And again, if you remember, progressive agenda continues to progress. This isn't the end. This is the beginning. When we say we don't need God or biblical values anymore, anybody who holds the biblical values is a prude. We're more progressive now. Progress doesn't stop. It continues. This is the beginning. And God's given them up. And again, as we get to next week, The homosexuality wasn't even the end. This is just the beginning of God giving us over to our vile affections. And so, again, the punishment is homosexuality for our sin of idolatry. That's what the end of verse number 27 means. It says, receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which would mean they they made a mistake and sinned against God, and this was their judgment, And so we can say with certainty that the expansion, proliferation, and explosion of homosexuality in a culture and the demeaning of mankind is an expression of the wrath of God upon that society. Just look around and you'll see God's already judged us. God's already given us over. Now, here's the great news about the grace of God. At any point, we can repent and turn back to God, and he'll scoop us out of the garbage that we're in. But God's given us over to that. And so we just need to look around and see, this is a country given over to idolatry, and they've gotten precisely what they asked for. And so what's our response to that? Should we get mad? Should we start a parade? Uh, Should we pick it? Should we make signs? Should we get megaphones? Should we shout people down? Should we be unkind? Should we get bumper stickers for everybody's card and hand them out? I don't think that's the answer. Standing for truth is not demanding that others change, but simply agreeing with God. Look, if you want to live in immorality and sexual deviancy, that's 100% on you, but I think it's wrong. I think you're missing out on God's blessings in your life. I think you're missing out on the joy that comes from doing things God's way. But I'm not trying to tell you how to run your life. God's given you free will. You can make whatever choices you want. It's up to you. You see, sometimes Christians can be misunderstood and sometimes Christians actually do this telling people you can't do that. That's one of the reasons why I'm mean, there's a big push for gay marriage, you know? How do you feel about it? I feel like it's wrong, but I feel like man's gonna do what he wants to do. A sinner's gonna sin. Well, shouldn't we push to make sure that they can't get married? Look, if they decide to get a sheet of paper passed out by the government, that's not biblical marriage. I wish that they wouldn't. I wish they'd find Jesus, but at the end of the day, I'm not trying to, to tell people how to run their lives. God's word does that. I'm just trying to encourage them to find truth. Again, you also want to think about it. I'm going to tell you how I, I feel. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. I'm going to tell you how I value those types of things. But I'm not trying to tell you how to run your life. If you want to go headlong off the front of a cliff, go. I wish that you wouldn't. I'll warn you on the way, but you get to make your own decision. That's what big boys and big girls get to do. Now, for me, I'll draw the line when that comes to abortion. You're free to do what you want to with your own body. You're not free to kill somebody else's body that's inside yours. I draw the line there. I'll stand for that. I'll tell you that what you're doing is wrong. I'll say what you're doing is murder. I'll encourage you to stop killing children. But look, if you want to go off into sexual sin that ruins your life, it hurts my heart to see it, but you get to make your own decisions because you're a grown-up. It's interesting, though, that the church many times struggles to find that middle ground. We tend to go to one extreme or the other when it comes to Christianity and sometimes so-called Christianity, people that aren't real Christians. There's a group of hateful, ugly Christians who say that all homosexuals should die because that's what the Bible said. Heaven forbid they find out that Sabbath breakers are supposed to die too because cut out half their congregation with that. That's wrong, wrong, wrong. That's not the spirit of Christ. You get the other end of the spectrum who say, "Hey, let's welcome everybody in. Let's have, let's be a part of these pride parades. Let's throw a, a, a pride flag out front of the church." Please understand, any church that has done that has left orthodox biblical Christianity. There's a church on the way to Hawaii Kai on the right hand side. If you're going to Costco and Hawaii Kai, right past you, once you get past Lahaina, I, I, I forget the name of the church because I frankly do not care. Got a pride flag hanging out in front. If you really knew what the Bible says, you would be embarrassed to have that flag outside of a church. Embarrassed. To say what God calls dishonorable, we choose to celebrate. Can't do it. Uh, Last year, this came across, and unfortunately this isn't an isolated incident. There was a church in, in Chicago where the newly ordained Lutheran pastor who happened to be gay hosted a drag Bible study class for kids at a Chicago church. And just first of all, that's a dude dressed up as a woman. That's terrifying by itself. Like for kids, like, I'm not trying to be funny or unkind. That's traumatizing for kids to see. And to do it in a church in view of the cross of my Savior, blasphemous. Secondly, whoever wrote this article obviously isn't a Christian because nobody's studying the Bible there. That's for sure, right? They call it a drag Bible study. But you haven't cracked the scriptures for sure. And so you have people who have gone to the opposite end of the spectrum to make people feel so welcome that we're going to invite sin into God's church and celebrate it and teach it to kids. And I I went on Amazon last night. Uh, I messed up my algorithms for the next six months because they know everything that I do anyways. And so don't type this into your search in Amazon. I did it for you. Books for gay kids. And like it blew up. And I'm getting offered all this stuff that I didn't want for sure. Uh, but I was, I was blown away. Books for three-year-olds on how to, teach your, to your, talk to your toddlers about being gay. What? This is one that broke my heart. Books for Christian parents to talk to their kids about being gay. What? Like, it hurts my heart to see stuff like this because it betrays the word of God. And please understand that there is a concentrated, willful attack against biblical family values and human sexuality in our society. Now, I'm getting to the part of this message where it's gonna get, some of you are gonna become uncomfortable, okay? Just stay with me, white knuckle your seat if you have to, because the things that I'm getting ready to say are gonna make me sound crazy, okay? Like, we should all put on tinfoil hats because the government's listening to us and uh, this is going out on the internet and you know, like, I'm gonna sound crazy, okay? But just stick with me and be crazy for a minute and just hear me out, okay? Crazier things have happened, I'll, I'll promise you that. My wife, one night, we were sitting on the couch, uh, and our dog was licking the couch because she's an idiot. Um, and so, <laughs> my dog, not my wife. Uh, <laughs> clarify, and the dog's licking the, the, the couch, and she, was, and she smacks the dog, and she said, I wish this stupid dog would stop licking the couch. And I said, we should use foolish instead of stupid, but anyways. Um, no lie, no lie like Three minutes later, she pulls up Facebook and she's scrolling and there is a ad for dog licking pads in her feed. Who Googles stuff like that, right? I ain't really made pads for dogs to lick. So there's crazy stuff out there already, all right? Uh, and so, and you can't convince me that that's just the algorithm and those are the types of things you buy. That's garbage. It's my phone listening to me, right? But what I'm getting ready to say here is kind of bordering on that like level of crazy, but I want you to stick it out with me, okay? And just hear, hear me out. Back in 1987, two men, two gay men, Marshall Kirk and Erastus Pill, 35 years ago, wrote a magazine article entitled The Overhauling of Straight America. And basically, how can we advance the gay agenda in America and make us normal like everybody else? And here's the first paragraph. You can go online. This is, this is uh, all, all online. First order of business is desensitization of the American public concerning gays and gay rights. To desensitize the public is to help it view homosexuality with indifference instead of with keen emotion. Ideally, we would have straights register differences in sexual preferences the way they register different tastes for ice cream or sports games. Like she likes strawberry and I like vanilla. He follows baseball and I follow football. No big deal. So we're trying to desensitize Americans to this, and they laid out a seven-point plan for this. Now, again, 1987. I was still in elementary school in 1987, okay? That's how long ago this was cooked up. And here's the seven steps that they have. Talk about gays and gayness as loudly and as often as possible. Step two, portray gays as victims, not as aggressive challenges. So again, this is not like, hey, we want to be out there. We want to be proud. We want to have our own parades. This is it now, it's it's like a civil rights issue. Like we're keeping people down the same way that that our nation used to keep people of of different colors down. It's like that. And and we look at that and we go, wow, that's terrible. Who would want to do that? Yeah, that's part of the playbook. Number three, give protectors a just cause. Those who aren't gay can join with us as allies and protect us. Why? Because everybody wants a cause. Everybody wants to, in, in No Lie, the, the article that says, says, if we can get celebrities on, straight celebrities on board with us, this will help immensely. 35 years ago, right? Step number four, make gays look good. Now, isn't it interesting that starting back like in the 90s, sitcoms started having gay uh, characters in their shows, and they were always the funny ones, They were always the ones that were fun to be around. They were always the ones who dressed extravagantly and kind of out there. They were always, the the gay guys were always uh, friends with the really good-looking, cool girls. Uh, They were always the ones that you wanted to go dancing with because the gay guys always had the best dance moves. And so let's make gays look good. Let's make uh, the victimizers look bad. Anybody that's against us, we're going to call them hateful. We're going to call them ugly. We're going to call them bigots. We're going to call them abusers. We're going to make everything that goes wrong their fault. Number six, solicit funds. We can't do this without money, and so we're going to need to adopt some people who've got money who can help us to advance this agenda. And getting on the air, or you can't, because you can't get there from here. We need to be on television. We need to be in movies. Uh, We need to buy ad space. We need to get billboards. Uh, We need to say things that everybody can identify, like uh, in Russia, you're not allowed to be who you are, but in America, you can be whoever you want to be. Like, like basic things that like everybody can agree with. Those are the types of messages we want to get across. And the idea was if we keep to this playbook and we can execute these well, we can get to a point where we're recognized and even celebrated. That was in 1987, and every single one of these has been done to a T. So... I say that to say the things that are happening in our society aren't the natural progression of society being more loving and more tolerant. This was to a T, set up as an agenda that billions of dollars have gone into. Multiple people have been recruited to get us to the point where we are today. So why do I say that? I say that because people are purposely trying to take down our biblical values and make us the perpetrators. I'm not trying to become a victim here or anything like that. I'm just trying to help you understand the world is set up against us in this aspect. For those of us that have children, we have to educate our children, otherwise the world will do it for us. If you want to say, oh, I'll let my kids learn about this at their own pace. Good. The world will indoctrinate them. Please understand, our education system has moved from education to indoctrination. They're not teaching facts. They're teaching your kids what to think. It's no longer a matter of, hey, here's the events that happened in human history. It's here's why these things happened, and here's how you need to think about them. People aren't allowed to think critically anymore. You have to fall in line with what's being told. And so our education system is shut up that way. And you might be sitting here thinking, well, well my kid's like five. Like they're, they're like not even old enough for that. The world doesn't think that five is too young at all. Florida tried to pass a law that you couldn't teach four through, I think, seven-year-old kids about sexuality in school, and people lost their mind over it. No, we want to be able to teach your five-year-old about homosexuality. They're fighting for that right. And so if you think your kids are too young, then the world doesn't. They're going to take them as young as they can get. And again, I'm looking at, on Amazon, books for three-year-olds to talk to them about homosexuality. My daughter, McKeeley, uh, had gone to a, a private non-Christian school last year, um, and they had sent an email home to the parents that they were going to talk about um, health. And if you have any objections, you want your kids to shit out of it, uh, let us know. And so I, I just want to know, hey, what are you talking about? And so I asked them, can you send me the curriculum that you're using for this course? Well, we haven't had anybody ask that yet. Okay, then I'll be the first. I don't have a problem with that. I want to know what you're telling my daughter. And that will determine whether she can sit in or whether she sits out. And so I look through it, and it's basic stuff about hormones and testosterone and estrogen and periods and stuff like that. I'm looking at it. It's like basic vanilla stuff that kids should know anyways. Hey, no problem with that. Making sure that there wasn't any talk about, you know, gender identity and things along those lines. None of that. Good. She sits on it. Fine. I find out like two months later that that was the class for sure. But then like two weeks later, as part of like a little talk story, the counselor came around and was talking to some of the girls about some things, just kind of in an informal environment and told them, did you know that when you go see your pediatrician that you can ask your parents to leave the room? And if you want to talk to your doctor about hormone replacement therapy or things like that or about being yourself, you could do that and your parents don't have to know. Did you know that if you want to be called a different name at school that identifies with who you are, you can do that and we won't tell your parents? It'll just be our secret here at school. If you want to change clothes and dress a different way than what your parents sent you to school in, we'll let you keep your clothes here at school. You can change into them and you can change again before pickup and we won't tell anybody. Please tell, let me help you understand. When you begin to encourage kids to keep secrets from their own parents, that's like borderline grooming behavior. That's dangerous. And that's, and again, state of Hawaii, this is, has anything to do with her school, the state of Hawaii says that a 14-year-old, 13-year-old can go to Planned Parenthood, they'll fill out all the paperwork that they want to, to get an abortion, to kill a baby, if you don't have the money, we'll pay for it with Medicare, and we will never tell your parents. 13 years old. But... Again, if you need Tylenol for a headache, you got to call and get authorization. Your family doctor's got to sign off for that. But again, that's how twisted of an environment that we live in. Where schools are teaching kids to subvert their parents. So, again, absolute mess. I don't know about you guys, but I always like movies where things blow up and there's lots of uh, gratuitous violence and stuff like that. So I'm drawn to superhero movies. And then... Marvel, who's owned by Disney, comes out and talks about the new Thor movie is the gayest Marvel movie yet. Like, and the, like everybody went nuts, about it, excited about it. Man, the gayest Marvel movie yet. And you know what I had to do? Don't guess I'll be seeing that. Again, if that's the, the thing that you want to be known for, I can't celebrate that. I just can't. And again, lest you think it's this one particular movie, I took my kids to, to uh, see uh, DC Super Pets the other day. And I thought, how how bad can a cartoon about dogs be, right? No lie, within the first 10 minutes of the movie, I'm not making this up, uh, they're talking and Clark Kent and Lois Lane are going to get married and so his crypto, the super dog's upset about it. So he's talking to another dog. She's like, oh, well, well my owner, she met her fiance and I'm telling you this, man, they totally pushed me out of the bed. And it's two ladies like leaning up against a a tree, like talking like really close to each other and laughing. And I was just like, really? And so uh, some of you are sitting here going like, Oh, my goodness, you think your kids are going to be gay because you saw two ladies leaning up against a tree. No, 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 that's not the point. The point is it's the desensitization to those types of things. We want to condition you. And, again, it's a 10-second clip here. It's a five-second clip here. But then it turns into a whole movie built on it six months, a year from now, because progressivism never stops. And, again, some of you are getting really uncomfortable because you're like, oh, my goodness, you're talking about these things. I just want you to have a biblical worldview. This doesn't stop. The latest Buzz Lightyear movie, which, again, our our family didn't see. They originally had a same-sex kiss that they cut because they thought it would be too controversial. And and they ended up putting it back in because they wanted to rail against uh, Florida's laws that they had against uh, same-sex relationships in being taught to kids. So they restored a gay couple and a gay kiss in the the Buzz Lightyear movie. And, And just know this, the movie tanked at the box office, and I'm thankful for it. I'm not giving my money to that. And then uh, a Zoom call with multiple Disney executives comes out, was, was leaked to the public where they talk about the LGBT agenda being pushed by Disney. One of the videos shows a Disney official explaining that the company is committed to pushing queer stories and putting in place procedures to ensure that the company is creating enough gender nonconforming characters. Disney corporate president, Kerry Burke, said in another video, she'd like to see at least 50% of Disney's characters in the future identify as LGBT or a racial minority. Now, pause for just a second there. 50% of the characters are what? Either gay or a racial minority. See how we're smashing these two together and making them equal? Look, being a different racial minority is not a choice. That's an identity. It's who you are. We're trying to elevate civil rights amongst uh, a a thing that the Bible calls sin to making it the same. And it's not the same. But again, they're falling over themselves to try to pander to this audience. Same lady, Carrie Burke, uh, said, I'm here as a mother of two queer children, actually one transgender child and one pansexual child, and also as a leader. That was one of the really things that got me, uh, because I've heard so much from so many of my colleagues over the course of the last couple of weeks, Latoya Raveno goes on to say, in my little pocket of proud family Disney TVA, the showrunners were super welcoming to my not at all secret gay agenda. Maybe it was like that in the past, but something must have happened. And in all that momentum, I felt that a sense of I don't have to be afraid of these two characters kissing in the background. I was just wherever I could adding queerness and no one would stop me and no one was trying to stop me. So again it's it's a matter of there is an agenda at work and let me just tell you this i'm not telling you what to do i'm not telling you how to live your life or i'm not calling for boycotts or marches or posting stuff on social media i'm just asking you to stop and think about the agenda that's at work look one of the greatest memories our family has in our family history is the electric light parade at disney uh, right after sunset eating churros and watching the parade at disney it was phenomenal like top five best family experiences, I don't know that I could gladly hand over twelve hundred dollars again to know that my money is going to subvert the things that I hold valuable. I just don't know that I could do that again with a good conscience. I'm not telling you what to do. And I'm not saying you're a terrible person. I don't want you to tell me like we're going to Disney. Do don't tell Pastor because you're gonna be mad. Not even like that. <laughs> I'm just asking you to think. One of the most troubling things. That, that I've seen in a really long time. I've seen a lot of troubling things. And it just like really small blip on a newsfeed and it was gone. Last summer, July of 2021, the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus released a music video called We're Coming for Your Children, in which they speak of converting your children to homosexuality. Now it blew up and people got really upset about it. And they ended up taking it offline, but it still remains. The the lyrics of this music video is We'll convert your children, happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you'll barely notice it. The world's getting kinder. Gen Z's gayer than grinder. Learn to love. Learn to vogue. Face your fate. We'll convert your children. Someone's got to teach them not to hate. We're coming for them. We're coming for your children. We're coming for them. We're coming for your children. Your children will care about fairness and justice for others. Your children will work to convert all their sisters and brothers. Then soon we're almost certain your kids will start converting you. The gay agenda's coming home, and the gay agenda is here. But it was a joke, look, maybe these guys don't have kids, but when you start about talking about coming for my kids, that's not a joke. There's no humor to be found in that. It came out about a week later. It took about a week. While the course took down the video and simply brushed it off as comedy, 34 men in the video were later identified as registered sex offenders, with some having been convicted of child molestation. Hmm. Please tell me again how this was supposed to be funny. When you have child molesters singing a song about coming for my kids? Now, what's our response to this? I'll tell you my flesh response. As you come for my kids, I'm going to have a 12 gauge shotgun waiting for you. That's my fleshly response. But you know what my godly Christian response is? Not on my watch. I'm going to fortify my home so this garbage doesn't make it past the front door. I'm going to teach my kids to love, definitely not hate. But I'm going to teach them what the Bible says about appropriateness in relationships. i want going to teach my kids sin and to call it what it is. I'm going to confess my own sin before my kids and tell them the only hope that I have is in the gospel. And I'm no better than any of these other guys. But this doesn't fly in my home. I'm going to stand Watch. I'm going to be together with my brothers and sisters in Christ in my local church body, and I'm going to stand for what's right, and I'm going to stand for loving and treating everybody with kindness and love and and teaching and preaching the gospel. That's what I'm going to do. So final thoughts here today, and we're done. We have to love and serve all people in the name of Jesus, period. Everybody. I've been asked before, people send emails to our church and says, hey, is your church a, a gay, welcoming church? And I always say, Absolutely. But I have to quantify that we are a gay welcoming church everybody's welcome here we're not a gay affirming church though I can't say what you're doing is okay you're more than welcome to sit here you can sit here for five years for all I care and you're gonna hear the gospel every single week of the world and we're gonna preach against every sin known to man under the sun but I can't say what you're doing is okay but we get the opportunity to love and serve everybody in the name of Jesus Next, the world will not know the love of Jesus unless we model it for them. Look, if Christians can't show the love of Christ to unsaved people, who can? If the church can't stand for right, who will? If the church can't show the love of Christ, there's not a lot of hope in the world. So what they know of Jesus is what they'll learn from us. Is it gonna be ugly bumper stickers? Is it gonna be hateful stuff on Facebook that we post? Is it you know t-shirts that we wear or politicizing every event that comes out no it's going to be by loving people the way that Jesus loved them next we can't celebrate or condone that which god calls sin i, I just can't I, I can't wear the the pride button on my my shirt at work i just can't i can't attend the gay pride parade as part of well, it's your job responsibility. I'm willing to work instead of go to the parade. You know, I'm willing to, to pull extra duty if I have to. I, I can't do that, though. Look, I'm not putting my pronouns on my name tag. I'm a 270-pound man with a beard, if I have to tell you that I'm a he-him. <laughs> I mean, like, you don't have to guess. You kind of figure it out, you know? I, I can't do that. Well, that's, that's part of what we're doing. Did I, I, I'm sorry, I can't be involved in that. I can't celebrate and condone and give credence to the things that God commands me not to. I just can't do it. We have to share Jesus. He's the only hope for the sin that plagues us. I have sin that needs to be cleared up, and I need to take that to the foot of the cross and get it right with Jesus. You have sin that that you need to make right, bring it to the foot of the cross of Jesus, confess it, move on. That's the only hope that we have, and we need to model that. Look, if you've got a coworker that's unsaved and you do something wrong, you need to go to them and apologize. That's what the gospel does. And we model for them the gospel at work. Repentance and righteousness at work. And finally, repentance is necessary for all sin. We have to agree with God that we are wrong and have a heart to make things right. That's it. When I make mistakes, when I sin against God, I have to go to Him and confess it. Repent and make it right. When I sin against my children, I have to go to them and repent and make it right. When I sin against my wife, I have to go to her and repent and make it right. When I sin against my coworker, I have to go to him and and apologize and make it right. I sin against my neighbor, I have to go to my neighbor and apologize and make it right. That's what repentance does. That's the gospel at work. The gospel isn't for sinners. The gospel is for all of us. Because we're sinners. And we never outgrow our use for the gospel. You didn't just need the gospel the day you got saved. You need the gospel every single day of your life. So, as we wrap up this thought here today on homosexuality, hey look, I'm not gonna judge anybody for the sin and let God do that, but I'm gonna love and serve people. I'm gonna stand for what's right. I'm gonna protect my family from what's wrong and encourage them to follow after what's right. And I'm gonna trust God with the outcome of that.